Thank you, Pastors Jesse and Rick. I don't remember when I heard this statement, this quote. I think it was in college. But ever since I've heard it, I've remembered it. It's from Benjamin Franklin. It goes like this. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except... Except what? That's right. Death and taxes. We all... We all know this statement. Now, as I've, whenever I heard this, I was immediately compelled by its truth. I thought it was absolutely true. But I don't think that taxes, you, I think that you can get through life without being taxed. If you go through life on welfare, you don't have to pay taxes. So that's not necessarily true. Now, death is something that is it's, it's obvious that that's true. You cannot get through this life without dying. But even as I'm saying that, there's the rapture. So maybe that's not true. The passage that we're going to investigate this morning brings a, another element to, to this statement that I'd like to put, that I'd like to complement what Benjamin Franklin says. And it's this. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and disagreement except death and disagreement in this life we will disagree we'll disagree about what restaurant to go to what the best sports team is what the best sport is we'll disagree about face masks social distancing etc 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 we will disagree if you're a human, if you have a body, if you sleep, if you eat food, you will disagree with other people. Minor, major, it's a part of life. And in light of that general observation and specifically of what we're going through together as a church in this cultural moment, it's very important to know how to handle disagreements. Even the Apostle Paul had people who disagreed with him in the church of Philippi. And as we persevere in the faith, as we try to honor the Lord as a corporate body and as individuals, it's important that we know how to handle disagreement. And that's the topic that we're going to tackle this morning in light of what Paul says in Philippians 3.15. Through 16. Let's go ahead and open there. Philippians 3 15 through 16. In the passage that we're studying as a whole, we've been dealing with perseverance, running the race, keep going, this necessary element of the Christian faith. And part of that, part of persevering, is knowing how to handle disagreement. And that's what Paul speaks of in 3.15 through 16. Let's go ahead and read it. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So I have three points for you. The first point is going to be an observation of this passage. And the second two points are going to be application. Application. 
So the first point is this, taking, this ob- taking verse 15, the first part of 15, and making an observation. The observation is this. Not all are mature. Not all are mature. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So I'm going to tackle this part of verse 15 backwards. going to start with the this this is and that's, I've, I've mentioned this a number of times, this is and that's, these and those are difficult to interpret. When we read the biblical text, often this is and that's, these and those occur. And they're referring to something else. So looking at the passage, a question that we want to ask whenever we run into these words, let those of us who are mature think this way. Well, what What way? What way are we supposed to think? Now this, this is difficult to interpret. I am not exactly sure what Paul is saying. He could be referring back to what he immediately said in verse 14. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call. Let those of us who are mature also do likewise also follow me in this example he could be referring to 12 and 13 he could be referring to what he says in his autobiography in 3 4 through 11 it's it's difficult to know that it's not immediately clear and i think this is an important point for our understanding of scripture and of your own personal Bible study. As you read scripture, it's okay and it should be expected that you're not going to know everything about what the biblical authors speak of. We, we should experience this. We should experience this. I don't know exactly what this is saying. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says. This comes from 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16. Peter himself read Paul's letters. And listen to what he said. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do with other scriptures. The Apostle Peter, whom knew Paul personally, as he read Paul's letters, he would say, some things are hard to understand. And we we have to have this posture as we approach Scripture. We cannot put ourselves above Peter. If Peter comes to the biblical text and sometimes he scratches his head, we also need to do the same. Now, this does not mean that we have no idea what the Bible says. Let, let, Let me be very clear about this. We do know that the Bible is a is the Word of God, and that the sin of man and the grace of God is taught throughout. That's the large idea. But the specifics, the minutiae, it is okay to say, I don't know what this means. And here, I am going to say, 
following Peter, I'm going to say I don't know exactly what Paul is saying here by this way. I don't know what he was referring to. But the general point still remains that the mature think a certain way. That those who are advanced in their Christian life have a certain thought pattern that the immature do not. That's what I'm taking Paul to say here. Now we need to deal with this word mature. If you're reading a King James or if you're reading an NASB or some other translation, if you look there it might say perfect. It might say something like let those of us who are perfect think this way. So the question we have to ask is, is it perfect or is it mature? I'm going to take it as mature, and the reason why I take it this way is based upon what Paul says in Romans 14. Listen, uh, Pastor Rick read a portion of Romans 14. Listen again. As for one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person believes he may only eat vegetables. Let the one who eats despise, excuse me, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. What Paul is saying in our passage, Philippians 3.15, and what Paul says elsewhere in Romans 14, same author, We're dealing with the same ideas. And the same ideas are that in the body of Christ, there are those who are advanced in their walk with Christ. There are those who, just like in biological life, are mature. They have a wisdom to them. They've walked with the Lord a long time and they have this wisdom. However, there are also those in the Christian life in the church who are immature. And that's what Paul is saying here. Not not all are mature. Not all believe correctly. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And also there are some who are immature who will not think this way. And this observation is important for having fellowship in the church. We are surrounded by both those who are mature in the faith and those who are immature in the faith. And in our disagreements with one another, we have to remember that disagreements are never separated from one's spiritual condition. And so therefore the mature, all of us, need to strive to approach disagreements with other people's spiritual conditions in mind. Maybe for some of you, you're going to need to have extra patience, extra forbearance, extra gentleness. As you approach disagreements, maybe your disagreement is with someone who is immature in the faith. And you need to remember that as you approach disagreement, that disagreement's never separated from one's spiritual condition. And for the immature... Maybe you're going from disagreement to disagreement to disagreement and what's actually the case is that you need to mature in your faith. That could also be true. 
But this observation is important. Not all are mature. Some will be mature. Some will be immature. Some will be somewhere in between. The body is filled with different types of people. And it is important that we remember that as we approach disagreement. That's the observation. And this is the application. Two points. I'm moving on in verse 15 to the second part of verse 15. The second point is this. This is a mouthful, but I tried to take out certain words, but I couldn't. It, it, this, this, this title of the second point, you need all these words. It's this. Entrust those who disagree with you to God. Entrust those who disagree with you to God. Looking again at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I want you to notice Paul's flexibility here, his spirit of concession. And I think it's helpful to read this passage and see what Paul doesn't say. So we're going to look at this passage and see what he doesn't say. If in anything you think otherwise, you're just plain wrong. No, Paul doesn't say that. If in anything you think otherwise, you're stupid. No. If in anything you think otherwise, you're immature. Paul doesn't say that. If in anything you think otherwise, you're going to hell. No. If in anything you think otherwise, it's my way or the highway. Paul doesn't say that. Paul is very gentle here. This, con this is a concession. Now Paul is sometimes sharp and direct. Paul is not a people pleaser. Paul is not milk toast. Paul has a backbone. Paul is an apostle. And I want you to see it's very important to compare Scripture with Scripture. And I want you to see Paul's different tone. We've kind of explored this already, but it's helpful to see it again. Look at 3.2. We've reviewed this passage already. So we're looking at 3.2, trying to notice the difference of tone here. 3.2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's very sharp and direct here. Paul has a different tone in 3.15. And the difference is that in 3.2, Paul is dealing with false teachers, those outside the church. And in 3.15, he's dealing with brothers and sisters of whom there is a minor disagreement. Look at 3.18. 
we will be here, not next week, but the week after. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set, excuse me, with minds set on earthly things. Paul does not say in 315, and if any of you think otherwise, you are an enemy of the cross. Notice the tone. Notice the gentleness. Notice the flexibility in 315. Paul here is making a concession. While he maintains his conviction and his beliefs regarding what he teaches at the beginning of 315, he does believe the mature should think a certain way. He's committed to that. He's not making it that big of a deal. He still thinks those who disagree with him are wrong. But what does he do? How does he approach them in relationship to God? If you disagree with me in these things, God will reveal the truth to you. I take it that what Paul is saying is that he is giving those who disagree and the disagreement is he is saying God will show you God will take care of this and in the Christian life it's so important to have this type of posture in in the church in, in our homes with our spouses with our children with our friends we're going to disagree And there comes a point whenever you just need to give the situation over to God. You've tried your best to persuade. You've tried your best to think clearly and to present your point in the clearest light. And yet there's still disagreement. It would be harmful in those situations to continue bringing up the disagreement. It would be harmful. Paul here does not have a posture of of browbeating and to repeat over and over again, hey, you're still wrong, you're still wrong, when are you going to change your mind? What does Paul say? God will reveal it to you. And this is, this is a difficult posture to have because we don't know when God will do this. And it could come at the end of time. It could come at the judgment seat. You notice Paul is not specific about when or how God will do this. Paul just says, God will reveal it to you. Will is a very ambiguous word. It's in the future. And as we have disagreements, we might not have resolution in this world we might be right and the other person for whatever reason fails to see that we're right and there's a persistence in disagreement 
this happens, this can happen. I imagine in, in all of your lives, you can think of situations that this is evident. And in situations like this, we cannot browbeat. We cannot have a posture of my way or the highway. There has to be flexibility and a concession and gentleness. And all of that is built on our belief that God is in control. And that God will one day right every wrong, whether small or large. God will do that. And we have to entrust to God those people who disagree with us and the disagreement itself. It's very difficult. It's very hard. But that's what Paul's example is teaching us this morning. And trust those who disagree with you to the Lord. Last point, verse 16. Kind of summarize where we've been. The beginning of verse 15, we touched on the reality that there are mature and immature people in the body of Christ and also in our lives. That is a, a reality. And as we approach disagreement, we always need to remember that. When disagreement persists, when you've done all that you can to persuade, and yet there's still disagreement, what you must do is you must take those disagreements and those persons and give them to God. And say to the Lord, Lord, you must take this situation. I can't do anything about it. And you must fight to trust him. God will reveal the truth one day. We don't know when. But we must have faith that he will do that. He is good. And he will keep his word. That's where we've been. Now verse 16. We have to remember what matters most. This is my third point. Remember what matters most. Looking at verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul is okay with some disagreement. He knows that even those in the Philippian church in Philippi, some will disagree with him. In those situations, he gives to the Lord. However, he has an exhortation for the whole church. In our disagreements with brothers and sisters in the body, we have to remember what matters most. We have to approach our disagreements with our brothers and sisters in Christ in light of the unity that we have, in light of the shared confession that we participate in. Interpreting verse 16, I take it to Paul is simply saying, he mentions two things, let us hold true to what we have attained. What we have attained, what he is saying to the Philippians is what him and the Philippians share in their confession of Christ. 
They both believe in the risen Messiah. They both believe that God has this eternal plan and that began with Israel and now includes the church and that God is bringing about this cosmic redemption. And our response to that message, our response to Christ, is to believe and obey. That is what they have attained together. And Paul is saying to hold true to that, to maintain that, to hold on in the disagreement that we have to remember what it is that we share together. Point's very simple. He does allow a concession in verse 15, but he follows it up with a command in verse 16. And another way to understand verse 16 is this. This is, this is kind of how I've taken it. The reason why he can say what he says in verse 16 is this. What unites us far surpasses what divides us. What unites us as Christians far surpasses what divides us as Christians. What unites us together in this body, community, Bible, church, far surpasses what it is that divides us. Whenever we enter into disagreements, it's easy to forget that. It's easy to see the point of disagreement as the main and only thing. I think this relates to our defensive posture, our posture of we tend to remember other people's faults more than we remember what it is that they do well. We tend to emphasize other people's faults at a, to a degree that we don't remember what they've done well. And that's not right. In our disagreements, we have to remember that we have a common confession. And that confession binds us in a way that our disagreements don't. What we share in common far surpasses what divides us. We cannot nitpick. We cannot focus on this one little problem or issue. Our perspective needs to be much larger than that. And I think a good way to illustrate this point is to use the half glass full. Half glass full, that didn't sound right, quite right. Thank you. Half full, half empty glass. Thank you. Sometimes you say things and you think that didn't sound right. So this illustration is used to kind of see what type of perspective people have. If the glass is half full, if that's how you view the glass, you're considered to be an optimist. If the, half, if the glass is half empty, you're seen to be a pessimist. You focus on the problem rather than seeing what's there, the positive. If you're an optimist, you focus on the positive and you fail to see the problem. Well, the problem with the illustration is the glass is half full. So both perspectives are right. 
So if someone asks you that question, say, well, I'm both, because the glass is halfway. I want to change the illustration a little bit. The illustration changes if you fill the glass more or you empty it more. If you were to put our agreement and disagreement in a glass as Christians, let's say you were to measure the unity that we have as Christians, how full would that glass be? You take all the issues that we could disagree on and the central idea of believing the gospel. How much unity does the gospel give us? I'd say 90, 95. Even if we dropped it down to 80, we do have diversity. That we, we do have a large disagreements that we have, political, theological, I shouldn't say large. We do have these disagreements, whether to wear a mask, whether not to wear a mask. These are real. But the gospel is more. And the glass, with reference to our unity and disunity, is not 50-50. The gospel is much more powerful than that. And as we approach this potentially 10% of disagreement that we have, we have to remember that there's a lot in that glass that unites us. And that what unites us is far greater than what divides us. Therefore, hold true to this confession in your disagreement. Hold true to the confession of Christianity that God created the world. And before that, he had this plan and purpose to accomplish in this world salvation. And through failing and falling and through the Lord's grace, the Old Testament brings us to this point in the first century. And that God becomes a man and his, that man's name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lives for us, dies for us, and rises from the dead, fully defeating and conquering our sin and death. And he calls all men everywhere to repent and believe in him. And we believe that message. We live that message. And we believe that the purpose of our lives is to uphold that message. And we fail, we sin, but the Lord's grace is better. And one day Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead. And forever we will live with God in eternal joy and peace. Amen. Dear friends, disagreement in the church in light of that, ought to be very small. We need to forbear with one another in the Christian faith. Forbear with one another's faults and disagreements and hold true to the confession that we share. Pray with me.
Gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise for your eternal purposes in Christ. Father, we ask and pray that we would be patient with those with the, the disagreements that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would give all things to you and that we would hold true to the confession that we share together. Help us, Lord, to have this posture that Paul models here in this passage. And we ask and pray for your mercy and your grace as we strive to persevere in the faith both as individuals and as a church. Bring about your good purposes in, a, in us and through us. In Christ's name, amen.